The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is the aftermath on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Working title, I don't know, maybe in progress. We'll see if we change it after. I like it. A couple of shows, yeah. But uh, we're as we promised and teased about the last couple of weeks, we're kind of doing a little bit of a different format. We're going to split up our main big show into cu- a couple more manageable size shows and still bring you all kinds of different content. I apologize that we didn't do an immediate post-game reaction yesterday. Had some other things going on that caused us to pull away, but that's okay because we have the true professional here to talk about the game, John Sheeran. Of course, I'm Anthony Cazenza. John, big, big win by the Cincinnati Bengals yesterday over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and there are people who are salty about this one. If you if you check out the Twitter sphere and everything, there are some salty, salty folks out there. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good, man. I understand it because most of my life growing up, I know the Bengals have more success in Heinz Field or Accresher Stadium, I believe. Yeah, Accresher, Accresher, yeah. Accresher, yeah. Like, I know they had more success there compared to Paul Brown, but they still didn't have a lot of success there, at least in my youth. And especially in the past five years before Joe Burrow came to town, now they've won two in a row in Pittsburgh. It's it's unforeseen territory. You don't hear Hootay chants in Pittsburgh very often, but that's what we heard after a third touchdown from a certain running back. Three of the last four have gone the Bengals' way. I guess what, what maybe even what four of the last five, right? If yep. you kind of go into the the Von Bell, Juju Smith-Schuster realm. So the Bengals are starting to even the scales a little bit with this one. Uh, if you do want, we'll, we'll be monitoring the live chats and whatnot. Um, if you do want to um, maybe shoot us a text or call, you can do 949-542-6241. We'll, we'll maybe get you on the air here or something, but... We're going to go through some of the stat lines that we saw, some of the the box score stuff as we usually do, but also give our perspective of what happened. Because first and foremost, John, this is just what the doctor ordered for the Bengals. They get their first division win of the year, um, needed it, needed it, needed it. And they get it against a team that, like you said, historically has not been uh, (laughs) a rivalry that has been kind to them. And then now here we go. 
the Bengals are, you know, getting getting right after the bye and into the playoff time. Uh, you know, I guess for you, how big of a win was this? And are we maybe overinflating the win a little bit because we know the Steelers are maybe not the same powerhouse they usually are, or is it just still, hey, regardless in your estimation, this is this is still a a tough game to play anyway, anyway, slice it. Well, I was curious entering this game. When was the last time the Bengals had ever made the playoffs with four divisional losses? And they did it once in this current format. It was 2011 when they snuck in with rookies Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, played the Texans, got J.J. Wadded all over the place. Not great, right? But it did happen. It wasn't easy, but they snuck in at 9-7. and seven, And that would have been the best-case scenario for this team. Had they been right now 5-5, five and five, four of those losses in the division – Going up against basically six out of seven teams in the playoff race right now. The the only other one is the Browns, who the Bengals have not beaten the Browns since 2019, and they can't possibly overlook them at this point. It would have been an extremely tall task, and I, I, I wouldn't want to say the season would be over, but it kind of would feel that way, I guess, like getting swept by the Steelers when you have the clear quarterback advantage in both contests, even though they had two different quarterbacks. It would have been demoralizing, and... You know, you you said that this was just what the doctor ordered. Like, I feel like them grinding out a win, which was so contested throughout the afternoon. It was a very close game throughout. No one expected 67 combined points out of these two teams and a cold night yeah. in Pittsburgh. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened. And they figured out a way to manufacture offense production when they needed. They kind of got stuffed a couple of times. They kind of got put back in their own end zone. But the defense found ways to execute and make adjustments after the second half, which has been a consistent theme for them this season. And the offense found ways to push the ball down the field without their best playmaker. So they did a lot of things that they needed to do. And now they're back in the playoff picture, like firmly in the playoff picture now. Yeah. Also what's, I guess a little bit more um, impressive in, in a lot of ways. And you kind of hinted at it with chase, not being in the lineup, but the Bengals also did it without Joe Mixon being in much of this game left the game with a concussion. Absolutely shocking that that injury was suffered against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But they did, like you said, I mean, you had a three-touchdown day from Samaje P. Ryan. Who would have guessed? I mean, if you would have said that going into this one, you would have been like, you would have been laughed at uh, off the airwaves here. But, you know, that's what happened in Cincinnati. You know what I liked about it, John? And I'll pull up the box score here because I think this this shows kind of what I'm talking about. Um what I liked about it is the the ebbs and flows, and, and I, I don't know if I'm going to explain this totally what's going on in my mind here, but the ebbs and flows in which uh, Joe Burrow utilized his receiving weapons. Now, you see here there's Burrow, 24 of 39. He had, I think it was eight batted balls or passes defended, five of which were by defensive linemen by my count in this one, including the Watt interception. So that put a big chunk off of the actual completions uh, and, and completion percentage, but threw for 355, four touchdowns, did have the two picks. One was just a ridiculous play by Watt. Um, it, but, you know, only two sacks this time. Quarterback rating of 104.1. Here's what I what I like, though, John. When you look at the receiving, you know, when you look at the receiving numbers here, you know, he used, he used Mixon early, three for 42. The guys kind of early that were used were Mixon, a little bit of Hurst, and then they were trying to do some different things. And then what I like, John, transitioned when they needed to. You transitioned to using Pirine, right? He was in there early as well, but kind of early middle was Pirine. Obviously iced it later on. 
Higgins then kind of became the guy in the second quarter, third quarter, a little bit in the fourth quarter, had a huge day, nine for 148. And then after going 0 for 5 on his first five targets of the game, Bengals needed a stellar drive deep in their own territory to really ice the game. And who do they go to? Tyler Boyd, who gets two catches for 42 yards late in the game. Also, oh, by the way, gets the onside kick. But what I'm getting at, and I don't know if you're following me here, I liked how Joe Burrow kind of kept the Pittsburgh Steelers defense on their heels a little bit in terms of the passing targets that he had, even without Chase and Mixon in there. You know what I mean? Like he, he used a couple of guys early and then transitioned out, used Higgins and then a couple of other guys late and it worked, it worked to success. Yeah. And Higgins had a good start to the game. He had a great finish to the game, nine receptions, 148 yards, and like three and a half or so yards per out run in this game. Never seen a 15-yard dig from a running back who was lined out wide before, but that was mm-hmm. Joe Mixon catching over the middle with incredible bursts, I should say. He's still got that juice in him when he's got yeah, space nice to play. work with. But but yeah, I I, th- I think I can get on board with that. He was targeting in the middle of the field earlier in the game, and it didn't seem like those passes near the sideline towards the boundary were, were getting on target. I, I remember there was one specifically to Boyd. I believe it was on a third and, and long, and like a back shoulder play that they've connected on multiple times in the past, and it was just a little bit off target. kind of went through Boyd's hands a little bit. But then what really stood out to me because there was a drive or there was a possession where the Bengals were backed up against their own end zone pretty late in the game. They only had a four point lead. They go three. Now they punt the ball back to give it back to Kenny Pickett, who at this point kind of came back down to earth a little bit. The Bengals defense did a good job, but then they get the ball again, like at their own eight yard line or whatever. And then there was two plays, one to T Higgins and one to Trent Irwin, when Burrow attacked those isolated routes down the sideline, pinpoint accuracy, both of them, two explosive plays that got them out of their own territory. They end up scoring a touchdown that allowed them to go up by, I think, 11 in this game. So six different receivers with receptions of 20 yards or more. Like, if there is a game where it's like, hey, Joe Burrow's a product of Jamar Chase, this is, like, the game to, you know, kind of snuff that theory into the, into the dirt. What did you make of, I mean, I, I, obviously, you look at Burrow, he's, he's now nominated for the FedEx... Uh, one, one of the nominees for the FedEx Air Player of the Week. Um, what did you make of the two interceptions and just his day overall? I thought he was pretty surgical. Couple of uh, you know c- the couple of interceptions, but overall, I thought he played pretty well. The uh, a lot of contested passes though in this one is evidenced by the the three other passes defended in the secondary, but five along the defensive line, two by Watt with uh, with the interception as well. They and I, I guess it could transition to something in a minute, but I guess just overall your takeaway of Joe Burrow, I, I thought overall is a good day, even though there are, there are those two, that two interception number was that six turnovers in two games uh, or, or seven turnovers in two games against the Steelers so far this year. Kind of crazy. I mean, I feel like context has never mattered more when you're talking about a quarterback performance than in this game, because you look at the two interceptions and it's not great on paper. Like he talked about, he was asked about this thing in this week's press conference we talked about it about his answer about how the Steelers and TJ Watt specifically are so great at identifying the timing of these quick passes and getting their hands up yep. and of course like this is TJ Watt like I, I get it like it's annoying it's he's a menace but he's the reigning defensive player of the year for a reason he makes these incredible plays and like you sometimes you just got to live with it I I don't think there's anything necessarily they, they could have done differently to avoid it. Sometimes the defender just makes a play because he gets paid too. But 
I, I, I won't argue if someone says this is one of the better games in Joe Burrow's career because of the context of playing on that field in these conditions against that defense, and he had the efficiency that he had. I did think he was a little bit off to start the game. I think that the precision, the accuracy wasn't quite there, but as we've seen with Joe Burrow in the past, he usually settles in after that first quarter, after those first first couple of drives, and things start to get better. And even still, like they had a touchdown on the second drive of the game, so it's not like they came out of the game completely flat. They had 10 points in their first two possessions. So he definitely got better as the game went on, and I believe PFF had him at 91. So yeah, if you want to go that far, say it, an amazing game, I'm perfectly fine with that. I've, I think I've seen better, though, but maybe that's just me. Yep, uh, but still a, a good performance and one needed for the Bengals. And ironic, you know, it's it's just so weird the the touchdown interceptions that you see on paper. You're like, wow, four touchdowns. Oh, wow, two interceptions. But it's like you know the the two interceptions, like you said, uh, you know, one kind of just fluky because of Watt and the whole thing. And then you go four touchdown passes, and three of them are to the backup running back. It's just like it. It's just a really odd thing how it all played out there, but. What did you make then? Because I thought the line, the offensive line played pretty well. Um, now you can see here, it didn't get much push in the run game, but the Steelers run defense is pretty, pretty stout. And I think the quick passing uh, attack that the Bengals had at some points that did cause some of these batted balls just disallowed them to really, you know, tee off and, and try and get after Joe like was the case in the first one in the first game, right? I mean, they, they kind of tried to get, get deeper drops and deeper plays. And that's what was causing more of those sacks in the first game. Um, they were getting it out quicker. And so instead of kind of just really trying to, you know, pin their ears back and go for a, a big sack, it kind of was like, well, they're getting the ball out quickly. Let's just get our hands up and try and bat the ball down. But overall your takeaway of the offensive line, things are looking up um, for that. Still not a perfect unit by any means, but um, baby steps of improvement. Well, the spotlight was completely on both Jonah and Lael Collins in this game, just how they can perform, how Lael has progressed as the season has gone on. And obviously, Jonah should have remembered what happened in week one and how Alex Highsmith had a really good game against him. And he responded perfectly well. 42 pass sets in this game, only one hurry allowed. There was a couple of stunts that went inside to Cordo Volson. And I think we saw there was Brandon Thorne, I believe, posted this on Twitter Cam Hayward, like he knows how to get away with defensive holding. And I'm not saying that as like, you know, he's a steal. I have a ton of respect for Cam Hayward, but that was a very, very savvy move by him to get away with a call that's just not really called. You don't really hear defensive holding called a lot, and especially you don't hear a lot of penalties called against the Steelers in this game. No, you don't. But No, you don't. Eh, whatever the case may be, Volson, yeah, like he's a rookie. He doesn't really know how to handle that because you just don't really see that often. So Cameron Hayward's Cameron Hayward. That's how they got the bulk of those pressures in the first half. Well, Collins against TJ Watt in those true pass it situations, though, like he was fine. Like the Bengals mm-hmm. handled pressure off the edge very well. And when you talk about Joe Burrow in this p- specific instance, 12 pressure dropbacks, only two of them ended up as, as sacks. So a 16% sack rate off of pressures is definitely where you want to be. You don't want that number to increase over 30%. That's usually when the Bengals end up in a lot of offensive struggle situations. And it wasn't like he was always getting the ball quickly. Still an average time to throw of 2.6 seconds. Sometimes they did have those long dropbacks trying to develop something down the field. So it wasn't like he was completely getting the ball quickly. And even still, on some of those plays, you had defensive linemen or linebackers uh, get get their hands on the ball to impact the play. So really good job by Burrow to evading some pressures, getting just the ball out of his hands um, and not taking those sacks because the, those have ended up being killers. The only two sacks in this game, really good job. 
So let's kind of flip the script a little bit and talk about the Bengals defense because it once again was a little bit of a tale of two halves for, for them, right? I mean, it was like, you know, Kenny Pickett and George Pickens were doing some nice things throughout the, the early parts of this game. A couple of nice plays later on too, but um, it was kind of like, man, this is, you know, this is a more confident looking Kenny Pickett playing this game uh, as opposed to what we've seen in previous weeks. Pickens kind of showing some nice stuff, uh, both a, a late sideline grab that I think was a 33 yarder, a, a really nice kind of fingertip grab. Uh, and then he had the touchdown catch, of course. But um, so were you surprised to see those guys kind of playing better and putting up more numbers than you thought? And, you know, once again, John, we've talked about this defense being really playing really well in the second half uh, of games this year. And here you go again. I mean, basically aside from a garbage touchdown with less than a minute left, they let it, they let up a field goal in the second half. And, and, and I can pull up the drive summary of that there, but uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's hard to say when, when you gave up that many points to the Steelers impressive day by the defense. But again, when you look at kind of that second half performance, there's a lot to be impressed with from that standpoint yeah so on both sides I feel like this first half performance from Kenny Pickett is as I think what the Steelers were counting on this season in terms of them wanting to remain competitive this year because like he had by far his best half performance of this of his rookie season so far was it went just beyond just the box score I believe he was like 14 for 1940 yards he showed command he showed poise in the face of pressure he extended plays and kept his eyes downfield and he actually pushed the ball down the field now I believe most of the struggles from the Bengals came from communication and that's something that but I think both Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo have said about that first half performance from the defense but I you know it's just guys kind of running free open down the field and it wasn't necessarily, you know, defensive backs getting beat cleanly. It was just a lot of miscommunications, a lot of errors that I don't know if it was just because they're coming out of a bye and they're a little bit rusty. That sometimes can be the case. But whatever the, the reason was, the Steelers receivers were kind of getting the better of uh, on some of these concepts. And Pickett had the time to make those plays because the pass rush didn't really come alive until the second half. And it's kind of been the theme for this Bengals team, too. It's not just them going into the locker room, identifying what rent, what rent, what what went wrong on that side of the ball and then making adjustments. It's also just been the pastors kind of coming alive and it's had to come from either Trey Hendrickson or Sam Hubbard because they're just not getting a lot of push up the middle, which definitely helped Pickett have that first half that he had. He had a lot of time behind the Steelers offensive line has taken some beatings over this season, but they play really well in this game and Pickett had the chance to be efficient in the first half. But like you said, the Bengals defense again, buckles down in the second half. It reminded me a lot of the Saints game where they had more success on the run uh, the Saints did in that game in New Orleans. But then the Bengals defense, again, doesn't give up a, a touchdown in the second half. And it was part of that seven-game streak that they had. So I got a lot of vibes from that game and this game as well. Kenny Pickett kind of came to, back down to earth. But they definitely took him by – Kenny Pickett definitely took the Bengals by surprise, though, with that first half performance. So here's, you know, a couple of, couple of things here. When you look at it, you know, Steelers get sneaked at – field goal at the end of the first half to take the lead and then they get the ball out of the half and you're going oh boy this is getting a little treacherous here and you had to from from the Bengals defense perspective they had to they had to keep them at bay they had to limit the points they had to limit the damage since they were getting the ball again right out of the half and what do they do punt 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 they get the field goal off of the the Watt interception punt punt I mean, these are all their second. I mean, it's it's nothing. Downs, and then they get the touchdown at the very end there. 
So, I mean, they did absolutely nothing in the second quarter. And what was odd to me, John, is it was not on, you know, a, a, I mean, Trey Hendrickson had two sacks late in the game, but it wasn't like, you know, they really got after Pickett and sacked him and derailed a, a ton of these drives. It was just kind of more sound coverage by by the secondary uh, and, and some missed throws by Pickett. Um, and the Bengals just took advantage. And, you know, I think they re- this game could have really – turned on its head right in this aspect that I'm circling where the Bengals get a touchdown, they force a punt, they get the ball right back. And then of course it's the one play to Watt for the interception. But I mean, they could have really taken good command of the game right there had that not happened. Um, But I mean, again, just really stifled the Steelers defense all through the second half until the game was pretty much out of hand. And then they got a garbage time touchdown. Yeah. And entering this game, Bengals offense have thrived on converting third downs and that wasn't really the case to uh, Sunday night and that's kind of just the reality with third down efficiency rate it's not always sustainable and that was what the case was with the Steelers too they were five for seven on third downs in the first half I believe two of them came off of defensive penalties for the Bengals penalties weren't necessarily a storyline for the Bengals in the second half pickets and the Steelers whole third down conversion rate dropped significantly there they weren't able to convert uh, third downs in the beginning of the second half which really came became the story like the Bengals offense eventually rose to the occasion against the Steelers defense that was at its full strength like there was nothing wrong with, with the way the Steelers played defense on on Sunday but the Bengals found a way to found ways to make plays and the Steelers did not what was your takeaway of uh, the what I just kind of mentioned though in terms of long-term concern because they're not really getting much consistency outside of definitely Hendrickson and Hubbard from the pass rush perspective and now you don't have a Wuzier who, uh, granted, the Bengals' corners last year and this year, they weren't, you know, interception machines per se. But, I mean, they're just not getting a ton of the turnovers. I guess if you're getting off the field, that's a win. And you're not, you're not, you know, they're, you're getting the ball back for your defense. But when you've got the Bills, the Chiefs, the Titans, um, the Ravens coming up here again, I mean, are you concerned at the lack of pressures, sacks, interceptions um just kind of kind of the splash plays going forward well i'll tell you what if they if logan wilson uh gets in the way of a jesse bates interception at the goal line and the ball i know up, and a bills or chiefs tight end makes that grab at the end zone like that's going to be a play that probably results in a loss whereas in this game it's kind of just a blip in blip in the radar and ends up becoming a non-story but I mean those those are plays that you have to make against good offenses and I do think that it's definitely worth something the fact that if you're able to convert or if you're able to turn the ball over in some of those games where not everything's going right like they got the Titans next that was a huge reason why they ended up winning that game against the Titans to be able to intercept Ryan Tannehill three times the game when your quarterback gets sacked nine times like that can be the difference to basically going against the odds like you're not supposed to win some of those games but if your defense makes enough plays and give your offense enough chances like that's how you can turn the tide and that's how you can turn losses into wins so in this game it didn't end up mattering but yeah there's definitely some issues that the defense has to work through and there's definitely opportunities that they need to take advantage of here's a look at some of the team statistics between both teams here um you know there there are some things that are pretty even and a lot of other things that are not. And you look at it, I mean, both teams had 13 drives. Uh, total yards, Bengals only out uh, outgained them by, you know, 
what is that, 60, uh, 57 yards, something like that. Uh, total play, Steelers had three more third down efficiency. Ironically, the Steelers were much more efficient on third down, and I think that was obviously – as noted uh, by the by the drive summary there, they were pretty good at that in the first half. Um, that changed quite a bit. In the second half, Bengals had more first downs, 22 to 17. And, uh, you know, you see the passing, a bit of a disparity there, almost 100 more net passing yards here. And then you got the penalties here, eight for 70 by the, by the Steelers, six for 44, and a couple of others. John, I, I, I don't like to do the referee deal i don't like to blame refs i don't like to do that but there were two or three egregious plays in this one you you kind of touched on it tongue-in-cheek a little bit ago my god like you know matt minnick shared one on twitter that uh early in the game hearst's arm was being held back by fitzpatrick granted the ball was maybe a little bit overthrown but you never know if you have actually two arms to use what can happen there and then of course the miles jack uh no call you know kind of spearing Joe Burrow on a slide down. I mean, there there are just some plays there that I think, you know, penalty-wise could have been called against the Steelers there. As it is really with any team in any game, there's probably more penalties that could have been called. But regardless, there were a couple of egregious ones that were missed. Yeah, I look back to the Mike Hilton one that ended up being DPI, but it didn't seem like there was yeah, anything was egregious one. there. I think yeah. he was mic'd up in this game too, so we're going to get some sound bites potentially of that but yeah that 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 stood out to me and as you see like six penalties for 44 yards i believe at least four for 30 came in the first half so things calmed down in the second half as well and, and again that was a big reason why the Steelers were able to convert some of those series in the first down and then in the second half that believe there were three of ten on third down so defense kind of calmed down I, I don't know like it doesn't feel like invalid to talk about missed calls and egregious calls in, in a win like it's it's not it's just identifying what happened in the game, and that ended up being something that, you know, it definitely impacted how the first thirty minutes of the game went. So it's just, it's unfortunately a consistent theme when these two teams meet, though. It is. Uh, you see there the two the two turnovers. That's the big, you know, another big disparity. Two turnovers by the Bengals. Yet the Bengals still had what was essentially a fourteen point lead right before you know a garbage time touchdown. Those two. Turnovers, if I remember correctly, both uh, led to a field goal apiece, um, one right before the half and then one off the Watt interception. So only six points off the two turnovers, but still made the game a lot more close than it than it needed to be there. Uh, special teams. Let's talk about that, John, before we kind of get into some more headlines here, because obviously there's some changes this week. Uh, Travion Williams was in there for kick return duty because of the injury to Chris Evans. Um, you still had Taylor returning punts, so that was new there. But Drew Chrisman, um, in his first game as the Bengals punter, I, I think we saw why they liked him, and I think we saw that there was an improvement there for sure. Um, three punts, 150 yards, and then two of those three went in the Steelers' 20-yard line. So it looks like as of – I mean, if we're just going to grade it on one game, it looks like that's uh, probably probably the right move for right now making that making that adjustment right and he I think his first two punts like they were noticeably a lot bigger than anything Kevin Huber has had this season but they most importantly flipped they flipped the field like they were from no further back than the Bengals 30 and I think both of them ended up inside the Steelers 15 so he ended up with like an average yards per punt of about 50 I believe like the net was probably closer to 42 43 in that in that area but 
even if it wasn't perfect, like in that environment when it's very windy, it's very cold in Pittsburgh, the field's not great. Like if you just have a cannon of a leg, like it doesn't really matter the the, the intricacies and the technicalities of the punt. As long as you just boom it like and take the elements out of it, it's kind of all you need. And that definitely helped uh, the defense in the first half make the Steelers kind of drive their way down to the 20 points that they ended up scoring in the first half. And then, Anthony, we talked about Evan McPherson missing his last two kicks in three games. Comes out four for four <laughs> extra points. The most, Maybe the most impressive 54-yarder of any kicker that we've seen in a long time. Like, it's really hard to make kicks in that stadium. Chris Boswell's made a career out of it. That's why he's one of the better kickers in the game. He did not play on Sunday, but Evan McPherson, 54 yards, and he needed all every single ounce of power in his leg to end up getting in there because, again, that field sucks, and it's windy, and it's cold. The ball clearly wasn't traveling that far for him on kickoffs, and I believe that definitely put the defense in some holes because he was averaging like maybe 60 yards per kickoff and ended up giving the Steelers you know decent field position after, after every one of those returns. But that 54-yard field goal, like that, I think, sent a message that, yeah, I'm still having McPherson. I can still make kicks. Yeah, I mean, that had to be like kicking a freaking cinder block in, in that cold like that. You know what I mean? I mean, that just had to be miserable to do that. And, you know, here we go right after, right out of the bye, like you said, right out of the bye, they, they come out and uh, they fix some things. And that was not easy to kick those types of kicks in that, in those elements. And, you know, he, he did, a, he did a good job. I thought Drew Chrisman did a good job. We'll see what happens down the stretch here, but um, nice adjustments being made there for sure. For sure. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's, we're, we're going to move on to kind of some, some headlines. I don't know if you want to call it fallout, but we'll, we'll go through some headlines to catch you up on some things after in the aftermath of the Bengals beating the Steelers 37, 30 big win for them. They moved to six and four. They've got the Tennessee Titans on deck in Nashville. That's going to be a tough one. And, and the Titans are starting to play started off slow, John, but those Titans are starting to play uh, pretty good football now. All of a sudden, they're getting Derrick Henry going. Ryan Tannehill seems to be kind of back on track after an injury. And uh, they're, you know, even with the the loss of A.J. Brown, Julio Jones, and others, um, they're, they're, they're winning games. 
and they went into Green Bay on what was it Thursday night, um, mm-hmm. and and got a nice win there. So that's going to be a challenge. I mean, they're winners of seven of the last eight. The most points they've allowed in a game in that eight game stretch is twenty two to the Raiders of all teams, who are a dumpster fire. And their one loss came against the Chiefs at Kansas City. Now, t- Titans and Chiefs has become this very unique rivalry where the Titans seem to have the Chiefs number, even if they don't always win. But limiting the Chiefs to 20 points in the game right now is pretty damn successful. Their defense is playing on fire, and it's going to be the same level of talent and effort and everything else that the Bengals faced at Tennessee in the playoffs this past year. And that was definitely not easy for the Bengals offense. So it's going to take another gutsy performance. It will. It definitely will. We're going to get to some headlines here in just a second. Just want to remind folks that this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. And we are on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network. And you can find that channel on the audio side on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the biggies. We are there. Leave us a review if you can. We appreciate that. And if you like what we do on the video side of things, you got to give a thumbs up on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page with about 80,000 others. And of course, you can uh, like right beneath John's side of the screen there. If you like the YouTube channel, you can hit the the little icon down beneath that SB Nation logo. Click that to subscribe and the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available and the like. We appreciate all the support. Let's get to a couple of others. There's going to be one we're going to end with that's going to be uh, some good, good news. And I like this one, John. Trent Irwin got his first NFL touchdown, uh, you know, in his career. And he's a guy that's bounced on and off the Bengals active roster and whatnot. I thought this was just a cool thing from the Bengals Twitter account. Jason Markham, Markham posted it here. Look at that. He gets a game ball there. Um, look, look at the joy on the guy's face. And, you know, I, there's some cool stuff, too. I, I had read that uh, he was doing some stuff in the community about, you know, working with youth and, and doing, you know, kind of being there for flag football leagues and stuff like that. So good on him. You know, it's one of those it's it's a tough deal to be on and off the active roster, on and off the practice squad, that sort of thing. But he stepped up. Team needed guys to step up with Chase being out. And he, he had a he had a nice game and is you know, kind of just quietly done his work and been a, been a good, uh, good player for what, what they ask him to do here in Cincinnati. Coaches and the players, they know so much more about the work and the ability that these guys have, the guys that aren't like the mainstays on the roster. But every year we talk about, you know, who's going to take whose place on the roster and some guys just end up sticking around and Irwin is precisely one of those guys he came on the first year in 2019 from like the dolphins or whatever very late in the season and for the past three years he's just remained in the building putting in the work there's not a single player who i I haven't heard about that didn't like always unanimously praise his effort and everything and his dedication and his work ethic and everything that he puts in to have this exact moment and it's a moment that almost got away from him because this was the third time this year that he's been elevated off the practice squad to the active roster. I think they only get three. I think a player only gets three of those in the season, and he didn't get that touchdown against the Panthers. It, it was called not a touchdown. It was called incomplete in the end zone. So the fact that he was able to get this moment and potentially could be his last game possible this season unless he gets signed on to the active roster, which could be a possibility now that Mike Thomas, I believe, got waived today. So there is an opening in the receiver room, even with Jamar Chase coming back. It was a very special moment, and I think it's a, it's a really good 
indication of like why some guys end up sticking around because it doesn't always showcase itself in moments like these where they get game balls and they get you know cool touchdowns against a rival but I, th- I think it's a great indication of why some guys just end up always being in the conversation and always being ready when their number's called well you just said it this is another slate of headlines here uh some roster news Bengals Make some moves with Isaiah Prince, Mike Thomas, and Tigray Scales. I'm going to uh, pin this in the live chat for folks to go check out as well. So go check that out. But as you said, here they are right here. Uh, they designated offensive tackle Isaiah Prince to return from the injured reserve list and return to the active roster. Uh, he's a guy that's kind of been their swing swing tackle, backup tackle guy. Um, I want to ask you a, a question on what you think about that in just a second. Uh, but they waived wide receiver Mike Thomas, a guy who was one of the first guys uh, that, uh, you know, one of the early guys. I shouldn't say one of the first guys, but one of the early guys that Zach Taylor brought in, obviously had ties with him from the Rams. Uh, he is um, he is waived, and then they also released linebacker to gray scales from the practice squad. Uh, he was a first-year player out of Indiana. So what I – what I you can see here, Thomas was cut because to make room for Prince on the active roster. So that's an interesting facet in itself that that Irwin was not the one that that got cut to make room for him. It was Mike Thomas. But what I want to ask you is that we've seen a lot of Hakeem Adenogy in the tackle eligible jumbo packages. Uh, do you foresee a scenario now wherein Prince is going to be in those roles when they when they trot that formation out there, or do you think they're going to kind of stick with what they think works with Hakeem Adenogy in that that old Dennis Roland role? We love we <laughs> love we love us some Dennis Roland around here. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, man? It's interesting now that they have eleven offensive linemen. Like they only need eight for game days, so they're going to have to just not dress three and all of them are healthy like you said with Prince now being back on the 53-man roster so I I don't imagine that they switch anything up necessarily like but maybe because now Prince has had a lot of time to recover so he didn't need that 21-day window so maybe he is just ready to go back in I do believe that he would still like well I don't know if I believe that now because Adenogy has played so well in the in the times where he's been called upon to play like you know some snaps here and there like he's shown to, to be a competent swing tackle when when called upon so I, I don't think I would give that up for Isaiah Prince who's coming back even though I think Prince's overall body of work has been better than Adenogy leading up to this season but I think the work that Adenogy has put in has paid off and he's become a decent tackle number three so they have now five tackles healthy tackles on the roster for the first time all season and it's I don't know like I wouldn't imagine that like Prince has like a role right out of the gate, but it wouldn't surprise me either because he he did kind of have that role last year as like that sixth offensive lineman. That was like the first iteration of what they're what they've been doing with the, with identity this year. So maybe. Well, we know here also just uh, you know in case you missed it at the end there, uh, George Pickens was um, George Pickens was ejected at the very end there, and I'll I'll just share this real quick. Uh, for doing what looked like a couple of different things, John. I mean, first, he kind of just did kind of the Miles Jack thing to Tyler Boyd when he had caught the onside kick and gave up, you know, kind of gave up on the play. He kind of went in there with his head, 
And then it looked like there was some sort of scuffle or he took a swing at somebody or again, did bumped a referee. I couldn't really tell precisely what it was, but something pretty bad. I, I thought he had taken a swing at someone personally. That's what I kind of had thought, but um, he is, he was ejected from the game. Um, I, I don't think this is like, isn't that a college thing where if you get ejected then you can't yeah. play the next week or something like that? So it's, I don't think it carries over or anything like that. And really it's just like, okay. I mean, he, he left the last 30 seconds of the game, but even still you can see him there. He is uh, getting, getting walked back into the, the locker room after the game. But this is, you know, this is, I'm going to be trying to be as diplomatic as possible with this. This is very <laughs> on brand for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is very, uh, on brand for, for George Pickens, really, uh, based on some of the college tape that we've seen. Incredibly talented guy. He had a good game yesterday, all things considered. But he is a, a very physical guy, and there's temper. I don't know if you want to call them temper issues, but there are there have been examples of his temper getting the best of him uh, when, when he was at Georgia and whatnot, and you know it, it seemed to do so again. And this is the thing that I noticed with the Steelers too, John, is like, you know, when the Bengals finally beat them and, you know, they're not getting goaded into these after the whistle penalties that they used to get goaded into, you just see this frustration uh, and this kind of irrational flailing um, from, from some of these Steelers players uh, when, when things aren't going their way. And that's, that's kind of what I took from this instance here. I just thought like, why, why would you do that? You're, I know you're, I know you're frustrated. You're, you lost the game essentially, on that play, but that there's just, there was like no reason for any of it. Yeah. And even if uh, Pickens didn't have a, a reputation, like he dropped one of the easiest touchdown passes of his life right before that instance. So I understand in a bad loss in, in a game where you made some plays, but you left some points on the board. Like I understand the frustration. I, I think in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about just like a, a systemic issue with this specific team, it kind of feels like, I mean, Mike Tomlin's a phenomenal coach. Like, I have nothing but great things to say about the mm-hmm. body of work. There are some things that, you know, little, yeah, we won't go there. But I do think that, like, his ability to be great with his players and to develop his players as just people in general has allowed them to bring in some players who have some sort of background and to their maybe carelessness on the field and he's been able to harness that. And for the most part, it has been successful. Like, he's never had a losing season. So they haven't always been in these situations where the season is either unraveling and they're just dealing with loss after loss. And now I think you're starting... This is just an example of when things aren't always going that great, how that can just be the... Like, it turns to a negative side, too. Like, it's not always going to be end up being like roses and butterflies. Like, sometimes you're going to be in ugly moments, and, and these incidents will be looked at as ugly parts of losses instead of just understories of a win, which has been the case with Steelers for so many years. So, yes, it's pretty, I guess, on brand, but, you know, it was also, I think, the like the Bengals were definitely mad about it because Miles Jack kind of speared Joe Burrow earlier in the game. Yep. They saw something similar with this on the onside kick, and, yeah, like, obviously the Bengals were mad about it, and that's, I guess, why the... I think Pickens ended up throwing whaling or whatever he was doing. That ended up getting him ejected. So that, that like you don't blame the Bengals for retaliating in that situation because it was a cheap shot for him to do and a overall bum thing for him to do. But yeah, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of undertones of maybe things aren't going their way and some of these things can come back to bite them. 
couple more and we'll get out of here in just a minute here. John, do you want to take the lead on this one? Because you, sir, wrote this up. Uh, the Bengals snap counts on Cincy Jungle here. And I will pin this in the, the link in the live chat for folks to go look at the article. John puts a lot of work into this every week. So I like to reference it. Really what I want to ask you about is, you know, um, you know, you, you write kind of a, a rundown and then have the, the graph here. What, what are some of the trends that we should, we should have taken away here? In terms of, you know, who played, who didn't, what, what, what are some of the things that were kind of you that popped out to you when you when you wrote this up? Yeah, so even though DJ Reader didn't quite look like he was 100, percent he had his normal workload. He played 44 snaps, about 60 percent of the defense, which is pretty on par with his usual standards. Mike Hilton, same thing, 86 percent of his snaps in this first game back. There wasn't a ton of rotations being happening with the defense aside from Jermaine Pratt, who normally isn't always on the field for passing downs. Against the run, though, Jermaine Pratt had 23 snaps against Najee Harris and company. He had five run stops. It was, I think, graded 91 against the run in this game. It was a clinical performance from Jermaine Pratt. That was one of my matchups of the game that I wrote on Cincinnati Jungle. Like, Jermaine Pratt has had the most missed tackles amongst the Bengals linebackers this year. I think Logan Wilson still has zero on the seasons. But tackles haven't always been great for Pratt this year. And Najee Harris was coming into this game playing his best football. He's averaging like a handful of missed tackles per game. Whenever Najee Harris met Jermaine Pratt in the in the second level, Pratt stopped him in his tracks. And Najee Harris had a decent game, but Pratt played phenomenal against the run. Again, 23 snaps against the run. I think 43, 46 in total, and by far his best game of the season. Yeah, you see here, you, you wrote it out, Pro Football Focus had Pratt uh, with a 91.2 run defense grade. So very impressive. He was very... Um, very active. And you know who else was pretty active uh, in, you know, getting in there, getting in the mix of stuff was was Cam Taylor Britt. He was the leading tackler, I think, with uh, yeah. 12 or 13 t- total tackles on the day. I think nine of them were solo. Um, he was he was very, very active, looked a lot more comfortable this week in a lot of different respects than he did the week prior. Still a lot of growing pains that are occurring there, but uh, good to see him take a nice step after the bye week and whatnot. Pratt was doing a lot of good things, but um, yeah. Uh, good, good write up there, John, about the the snap counts. Let's get to just a couple more in case you did not catch up what is going on with the division. Obviously, the Bengals beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, and uh, what, what occurred between the Ravens and the Browns? They did not play each other. They played other teams. The Browns. Uh, barely lose to the Bills. I believe that was, wasn't that one on a last second field goal on that one. Um, and then, uh, you know, the Ravens, the, the Ravens just won an ugly one against the Carolina Panthers, but Browns continue to fall further and further down the division. Ravens kind of keep, still keep that arm stretched out against the Cincinnati Bengals to keep, you know, keep them at bay for that, uh, that division lead there, but not a good day for either of these teams, even though the Ravens did win. So the Browns ended up playing in Detroit because Mm -hmm. there was six feet of snow in Buffalo. And I don't know if it's a bigger indictment on the Browns or a test to how good the Bills are, but the Browns lost to a team that almost couldn't make it to the game. There were so many stories about, I think, Bills (laughs) players who were... had They had to hike through, I think, a mile's worth of snow to actually get to what like the team plane or the team bus. There were multiple of them that were concerned they weren't going to end up making in the bills. I there, there was a 
scenario where they had to forfeit this game. And coming out of the gate, the Browns played pretty well. I think Nick Chubb had a couple long passes or long receptions off the screens. J- Jacoby Brissett was playing pretty decent, just like he did against the Bengals. And it seemed like they were going to make a game out of it. But then the Bills became the Bills, and they won pretty uh, easily. I think the Browns had a backdoor cover, though, so they only lost by about eight. But the Ravens, we talked about the Steelers playing to their opponent's level. I don't think anyone does this better than the Ravens, to be honest with you. And this is, I think, a big storyline, Anthony, because... The Ravens have like the opposite, if you will, of the Bengals schedule to end the season. They don't play a lot of very good teams. I think Carolina's just among one of those teams that they should beat. But as we've seen in recent years, like the Ravens just don't always look like the dominant team that they're supposed to be against some teams. And the Panthers almost had their number in this game with Baker Mayfield in the team. So that's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens kind of handle this part of the schedule. That's not that shouldn't test them that much, but. Like this is a consistent theme for the Raiders or for the Ravens, excuse me. They don't always look as dominant as they should be. Yeah, and the yeah, I mean that, that was that was a pretty ugly game. <laughs> that was a pretty pretty ugly game. I, I mean, I, I watched a little bit of that towards the end. And it was like, ooh, this is not very highly watchable football. But regardless, I, you know, I I am curious to see if they you know they have a couple of stumbles along the way, uh, the Ravens. But um, you know, I mean, I I think they'll they'll kind of keep afloat. So hopefully the Bengals kind of get a surge here and, and start making some, some moves. Otherwise they may have to look at the wild card or what have you. Let's end with this. Some great, great news that came across the wire late today. Jamar chase is expected to practice this week. We got a good update from Ian Rappaport on Sunday that he was off the crutches and things were looking good. Obviously was not going to play and did not play against the Pittsburgh Steelers, but, um, this is that four-week timetable. It's It's been three games. I would assume if he is going to practice this week, we will probably see him in some form or fashion. Granted, there are no setbacks. Um, that, that would be just my guess. Maybe I'm just being too optimistic about it, but that's my guess on that. I don't know if you agree or disagree. Um, and then again, like you said, and like we pointed out, Mike Thomas gone, Trenton Irwin stays, uh, Jamar Chase wasn't ever placed on IR because basically, you know, just the time window allowed them to maybe save a game there. So um, looks like Irwin stays. Jamar Chase is going to be back this week. Yeah, so I think, like you said, setback. That's like for other injuries, like setbacks or whatever. But for this one, it's like if there's any indication that there's still pain and soreness, I don't think the Bengals are going to to push this. This is not... Like, yeah. absolute crunch. Like, if this is the playoffs, maybe that would be different. But I feel like this specific injury, they're going to test the waters. I believe, like Zach Taylor said, he didn't want to commit to saying, like, yeah, we're like we're feeling really optimistic, like he said about DJ Reader in the past couple of weeks, right? That was a, that was an indication that they felt comfortable about where Reader's knee was, and he was able to eventually be activated. This is a, a thing where it's like, okay, like, Jamar, you're off of crutches. You're able to function normally, everything. You're putting weight on that hip. Let's see how you do. If there's any sign that this is not exactly where they want it to be, I don't think he plays. But like you said, if everything goes smoothly, then there wouldn't be any reason not to put him out there. So that they're just going to have to have a microscope basically on how he's feeling with that hip. And we'll find out more when they end up practicing on Wednesday. Well, wanted to end with some good news. On top of the, the good news, that was the Bengals beating the Steelers. And there you go. looks like Jamar Chase, barring any problems should be back this next week and the Bengals need to have as many able hands on deck they've been able to keep things afloat without them were they two and one without them uh and and the one game they lost was 
the Browns where it was kind of a last minute thing that he was, you know, just kind of popped up that he wasn't going to be available. So, you know, they've, they've been able to do a lot of good things without him, but obviously he is a game changer when he's in there. That's, there's no doubt. Any other elements of news that I need to get to John that I did not talk about that you think we should cover before we bounce on out of here on the aftermath. Hmm. Um, not that I, not that I can think of, you know, the last time Bengals running back, had three receiving touchdowns in the game, Anthony? Was it the week prior? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I don't know when it was. That's your question. Never happened before. We saw history. There he was the 27th running back to ever have done that catch three three touchdowns in the game. And it was, it was like those those touchdowns, like I know he's not going to do that probably ever again, but it, I don't know. I, it, it didn't really seem like, like a freak or fluky game because all those plays, like he's made them – before like sometimes it's been over the course like, of the season like never yeah. in a single game but i don't know i i would give i would give p run the ball with a super bowl on the line again like he like I, he's just that guy you know, know it's yeah you can see why the coaches like him you can see why they trust him i know there's some frustrations that he's not you know high high-end athlete or what have you but um you know from a coaching perspective i can definitely see why you would like to have that guy on your team and I always think it's amazing when guys step up and play really, really well when another guy goes down with an injury. Um, we, I do an awards thing every week, and it's Unsung Hero, and I always try and be like, hey, you know, when there's a guy that comes in that you don't expect to have a high volume of snaps and he comes in because there's an injury, I always, uh, you know, mad respect there. And that's what he did. He matched his career receiving touchdowns, I think, in one game. Uh, I think he had three throughout his entire NFL career, and he had three in the game. So that was pretty crazy, uh, but good to see and good for him. Uh, but, John, this has been fun. I'm glad uh, you are joining me on this, and we're going to be back. Not Going forward, we will do Thursdays, I think, but this week, because of Thanksgiving, we're going to try and squeeze one in on Wednesday afternoon. So join us for that, and then we'll have more going forward. We are still working to cement an interview with Mike Golick. Uh, that's, so that's going to be really cool to get, to get him on the show. Looking forward to that. And I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, I'll see you in a couple days, John. Yep. Talk to you guys soon. 